Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real world experience as a senior executive. So if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, let's get started. Season four of the Business Integrity School is sponsored by J.B. Hunt Transport Services, Inc. Hi, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. And today, I have two delightful guests with me from Deloitte. I have both Lisa and Kwesi. Hi to both of you. Hi. Hello. How are you guys doing today? I am doing incredibly well. Good. Good. It's hot. We're in the middle of summer here, at least (laughs) as of the recording. But um, hopefully it will be it'll be cooling off here soon as we move into this fall semester. Well, before we jump into this podcast and talk about all things ESG, I want to tell you just a little bit about both Lisa and Kwesi. They have really incredible backgrounds. So first, Lisa. Lisa is the chief of staff for U.S. sustainability and climate change at Deloitte. She joined Deloitte after completing a joint MBA and MS environment and resources program at Stanford, and she holds a Bachelor of Science in Engineering from Princeton. She began her career as a bioenvironmental engineering officer in the Air Force, and she has focused for the past decade on corporate sustainability and nonprofit strategy consulting. Now, if you're wondering how she got from point A to B, we'll get there in just a minute. We also have with us Kwesi Mitchell, who is um, the Chief Purpose Officer at Deloitte. I love that title. I'm actually seeing that more frequently now in companies. Quasi is responsible for driving a firm-wide strategy around Deloitte's commitments to areas including, but not limited to, diversity, equity, and inclusion, sustainability, and climate change, and education and workforce development. Prior to this role, Quasi served as the diversity, equity, and inclusion leader in the pro bono and special impact lead for Deloitte's more than 50,000-person consulting practice. He advises clients within both the government and commercial sectors and previously served as the strategy offering leader for Deloitte's government and public practice services practice. Quasi has a PhD in inorganic chemistry. We've got some really smart people with us today, if you haven't figured that out yet. And he sits on the board of several national and global nonprofits. So again, welcome to both of you. Thank you so much for being with me today. And I just have to throw it out there. How in the world did we get from bioenvironmental engineering officer in the Air Force and PhD in organic chemistry to focusing on Chief Purpose Officer in all things ESG. I'd love to hear how that happened. And Lisa, I'd love it if you start, especially since you're the brains behind this operation. (laughs) Sure, I'm happy to. Thank you so much for having us, Cindy. Really pleased to, to get to speak with you today. I have been interested in the environment and protecting the outdoors since I was a kid and enjoying backpacking and canoeing with my family. I pursued bioenvironmental engineering in the Air Force. I have a family history of service uh, in the military. And so it was very important to me right after college to start my career there. A really excellent opportunity to learn leadership skills. And I focused on bioenvironmental engineering because of the human health and safety elements associated with protecting our environmental attributes, clean water, clean air, et cetera. 
I pursued graduate school after the Air Force because I really needed to understand how the business world worked. Classmates, <laughs> I had no idea what people had been doing <laughs> in the military. And after exploring the nonprofit realm and corporate sustainability, I realized that the issues I cared about required excellent problem solving skills and collaboration mm -hmm. across sectors. And consultants are the best problem solvers that I met in graduate school. And Fortunately, Deloitte was willing to take a chance on someone with a public military background and nonprofit background. And I knew the world of Deloitte was so large that there was going to be a route for me, sort of meandering through the firm, potentially for a really longer term career. So that's eventually how I got to where I am now, which is my fourth role at Deloitte in the nine years that I've been here. That's really cool. Wow. There's a whole story to unpack there, but we'll, that, we'll have to hold that for another, another day yes, and another episode. But that is, that's an awesome journey. Kwesi, how about you? So it's funny because I don't think I've ever shared this with Lisa. Uh, I have been studying different aspects of either sustainability or renewable energy slash fuels since in college. So over 20 years. Um, so aspects of my research as an undergraduate when I was studying uh, chemistry was focused on greenhouse gases. I then went to graduate school and studied you know, alternative um, fuel sources. And specifically that led to a job with me working within the oil and gas energy in industry where I also spent some time in those specific areas. Now I joined Deloitte there for the same reason that Lisa was just mentioning a moment ago. I love solving complex problems, right? And there's no more complex problems than the dynamics of humans within a business environment, right? So that being said, um, I've had a number of roles, as you mentioned before, Cindy, that have kind of brought me here to my current role. And the reason that I ended up accepting the position as chief purpose officer is because I had spent a lot of time on things such as climate and sustainability. I'd spent a lot of time with things such as DEI and education workforce development and being in a role where I can look at those multifaceted issues in tandem just to see where we can make an impact as an organization is incredibly meaningful. Um, and I just have the absolute pleasure of working with a team member as phenomenal as Lisa. Well, that is really, really fascinating. I love to hear people's journeys because they're so varied. They are as varied as we all are individuals. And uh, it's just it's just great to hear about um, how other people kind of found their way toward this really purposeful topic that we're going to spend a lot of time talking about today, which is ESG. It is certainly the new buzzword. It used to, in corporate America, it used to be kind of CSR, I think, kind of corporate social responsibility. And, and now it feels as though it has completely kind of morphed. And it's a topic that's certainly been around for a while, but was maybe more on the sidelines. And now it's really center stage. So it, it certainly, it feels that way, I think, from, you know, the push from the investment community, and then, you know, kind of all the way through with what corporations are doing, business roundtables, new statement on stakeholder theory, all of that. I guess my question for, for both of you is, do you think it's kind of here to stay um, in this central way that it is now? And I'm happy to start and then Lisa correct anything that she disagrees with. Uh, but I definitely feel that it's here to stay. If you just look at some of the trends that you just flagged, Cindy, the investors you know, pointing out how this is critical has led to substantial changes within corporations internationally around this particular topic. The other key piece that I see is because corporations are starting to adopt this, they're being more thoughtful on 
everyone within their supply chain, who they work with, and that they're signing similar pledges um, as they are making themselves. It's not yeah. uncommon for Lisa and I to see distinct letters or statements from clients that they would like to see an expression of shared values from us on things such as ESG. The other thing that's really critical, and so many organizations see this as a critical talent play, right? That their people, this is an, an incredibly important topic to them. And so therefore, it's going to be a key aspect of not only their strategy, but how they govern themselves as an organization. And even here within Deloitte, one of the reasons why I personally feel that it's here to stay, I literally um, just reported out to our board last week specifically on this topic. Wow. So everything has fallen into place for this to become core to how organizations function in the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lisa, what do you think about that? I completely agree with the multi-stakeholder imperative. I think that we have now, which is which is a change from the last couple of years. And I think in addition to what Quasi mentioned as reasons of why this is here to stay is the significant attention at global reporting and standards levels looking to solve the complexity that corporations face right now in terms of how to actually measure and communicate progress on these topics. So the fact that the International Financial Reporting Standards Foundation has now asked and is pushing for the Sustainability Standards Board to set standards that will apply globally, um, I think is one good indication. I think the co convergence and coalescence of almost 100 companies on the stakeholder capitalism metrics that the World Economic Forum um, announced and worked with uh, in concert with the international business community over the last year or so is a real demonstration of commitment. Um, the question now is how to, how to measure and communicate and make the, really embed the issues and the topics through all facets of the business. It's no longer really a corporate citizenship team only or a CSR team or a foundation, but really getting these topics and KPI throughout you know, everyone's job descriptions and roles in a company. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And, and you went right to the heart of the issue that I think is on everyone's minds. And so I'm just going to turn straight to it here. But it's about that measurement, right? And, and, then, and then it turns to reporting out on progress. But that measurement is, is hard, hard to do. Um, and, and part of the reason it's hard to do is because it does mean you've got to collect the right kind of data and companies figuring out how far back in the chain do they need to go. So uh, what I'm interested in knowing from the consultant perspective, what, what are you all seeing in terms of your clients kind of wrestling with that issue and, and where are they on this journey of collecting the data and how far back are they going? Does it, does it differ by industry? Yeah. I'm happy to start, Quasi, if you'd like. Go I'll... for it. It really does vary, Cindy, on you know, where in a company is in its maturity and the, the industry that, that, that they are in. I think all companies are now at the point where they understand their own operations and probably tier one of their supply chain. But okay. as tier two, tier three, you know, several steps down, it becomes much more difficult. The emergence of technology solutions, um, whether it's apps or blockchain or otherwise, is helping, but there is still a first sorting and sifting through all of the options that are out there and also choosing where to focus. And that is something that we as consultants at you know, Deloitte and other professional services firms are often trying to advise is to really focus on 
collecting data that is about the most meaningful and material topics that you have for your business. For some, it might be water. For some, it might be human rights or labor. Trying to do everything all at once is impossible and, and overwhelming. So really look, taking a hard look at the current portfolio, the operations, and identifying either the places that are of the most risk, either for the operations of the business or the most risk from a brand perspective, right? What is, what is most important to be able to have a very clear answer to? So I think we're seeing both of those things that are of great interest for clients across the board and also really excited by multiple nonprofit organizations that are trying to help make this easier um, and also result in better livelihoods and better environmental conditions. Um, the good news is that as we see more consistency in terms of the requirements of the eventual corporate customer, it will get better later on in the supply chain. Um, similar to, to corporate reporting, standardizing, the measures, the ways of communicating, et cetera, will simplify versus having multiple different approaches. Yeah. And Cindy, if you don't mind, if I just added one more thing to that, because I, I think Lisa is spot on, just so you get a perspective. Uh, the, the conversations that I have frequently center around people asking themselves two questions where they are deciding to, to start. Um, and, and it's largely driven by people who have not been in this space and are heavily as immersed as Lisa has been for years and years. It's where, in fact, do we potentially do the most harm as an organization, given our operations? And also the other key piece is where, in fact, can we have the most influence ourselves mm -hmm. and on our supplier community? So it's a really interesting extension of what like Lisa just explained there very articulately that from a more simple um, perspective of, especially if you're thinking about C-suite executives that I interact with, they're, they're wrestling with those two items and building upon now, how does that play out across our entire supply chain? Mm -hmm. do, you, do you see differences, not just by industry, but also by uh, geography? for your clients? Um, and also, do you see a difference in um, whether or not they're public or private companies and their kind of focus on this? So talking about it both from the geography and the public-private perspective, do you see differences? Lisa, why don't you go ahead and start? Sure, certainly see differences because what kind of information is communicated and the extent of the information you know, varies significantly in terms of what's required. Um, and what companies believe is necessary to uh, distinguish and differentiate themselves. Yeah. I think um, also that geography makes, makes a difference. And we need to remember that the kinds of um, rules or norms that we have in the U.S., are not the same as around the globe. So perhaps if we think about uh, labor standards and practices. So I think right. it's going to be a topic that is going to be really challenging to navigate for multinationals because it is um, in some places, teenagers working a good living wage job, that's acceptable, right? right. Being in school. And so navigating how to, how to um, address the priorities that our consumers may have, right? Or other stakeholders, um, but also be respectful of differences in culture, I think is going to be, is going to be challenging as we try to navigate to what um, a base sort of base standard should be on mm -hmm. topics. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, one other dynamic that, Lisa, I, I see a lot, particularly around the topic of purpose, which is cascading to this area, 
is organizations that are B2B in comparison to B2C. Yeah. Um, B2C organizations, because of the influence of their customers being so heavily passionate about things related to climate change, have in many respects had to be on the front lines of really moving forward and advancing the ball because their customers were demanding it in vocally in a lot of different forums. So that being said, there's some nuances there when we think about aspects of this particular topic. Yeah, but so one more question before we leave this topic of of kind of measurement and data. Uh, Lisa, you had mentioned that you see clients using different types of technology, blockchain and and others. Have you seen any convergence around certain, you know, certain certain things like maybe blockchain or other types of technology that um, is most helpful in trying to not just gather data, but verify it as well? Yeah, I think that in particular, as it as we look at the complex global supply chains, particularly around textiles or food and agriculture, really those and the, those that end up being really consumer facing products, that's yeah. where the most uptick. And what's fascinating is that not only can these technologies and tools support from a verification and quality assurance type process, but also help the companies often save money. For example, you know, better tracking of when produce is ready. Um, to be picked and then distributed to customers. So I think there's a dual benefit of both the consumer experience and improved ESG, as well as supporting the the company's bottom line. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. All right, let's turn to the other topic that you that you that you mentioned a little bit earlier on, but is also on everyone's mind, and that's like the reporting out. And and there's just this explosion of rating agencies, if you will, all who have sort of different standards. And, it, you know, for, for a global, it can just be mind boggling, you know, let alone getting your, your mind around the figuring out what's material, like you all said, what's going to have the biggest impact, then getting the data for that, figuring out how far back to go in your supply chain. But then it's like, well, what's the measuring stick that I'm measuring against, right? And, and so my question for you all is, what are you seeing on the horizon in terms of convergence first? of all the different rating agencies that are out there and the different measuring sticks? Well, so Cindy, I mean, those of us that have been in this space called an alphabet soup. I mean, it's ridiculous and it's difficult to navigate. And depending, you know, what stakeholder you are looking to provide information to, you might choose, a company might choose a different um, reporting framework. Um, and I think that I think that actually makes sense because investors and consumers are looking for different kinds of information. I think it's a little bit unreasonable for us to think that there is a one-size-fits-all solution. There are going to be variations by industry, by type of company, by what stakeholder you're trying to communicate to. However, there is, I think, a foundational set of information that's needed, and that's what these WEF stakeholder capitalism metrics are really intended to design and provide for. Then layering on, um, you may choose um, a SASB type disclosure, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, because you're looking for financially material, material, financially comparable information. You might be looking for something more like the um, GRI, the Global Reporting Index, because you're looking for something that's a little bit more comprehensive. That's Deloitte's um, Global Impact Report is in alignment with the GRI standards. Um, but there are a handful of others out there. And one thing that I think is really good news is that some of these that are more similar are starting to come together over mm. 18 to 24 months and at least provide 
crosswalks or communication tools so that you don't have to sift through 12, maybe you're sifting through six. So it's a step in the right direction. Um, I also think that um, we're going to be seeing a real change in terms of financial risk associated, particularly with climate change, um, disclosed more and more with the uptick and, and uptake that we're seeing for the TCFD, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, which has become mandatory in some other parts of the world already. Mm -hmm. And Cindy, it's really funny because it's like in my conversations, there's always this like, hey, hey, um, what what reporting standards are you following, right? Because there is such an alphabet soup out there and there's so many different, you know, businesses are just fundamentally different. The interesting thing and what had popped into my head when you asked the question as well is that when you think about this convergence, I recently had a conversation just with respect to the executive order that the Biden administration put forward. And if that was going to be another item that would propel additional convergence here in the near term, Mm -hmm. um, particularly across, you know, um, government suppliers, which could lead to pretty substantial like um, standardization in a relatively accelerated time frame. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. But what's interesting about um, what I'm hearing in this conversation is that you all can envision a future perhaps where there is both some standard reporting, maybe from the SEC or maybe even a global standard, keep our fingers crossed on that one, right? But then also maybe because you're dealing with different stakeholders, still this version of a ESG report or a sustainability report, something that is is maybe not geared at investors that would be looking at a, you know your quarterly reports and a, and a 10K and a proxy statement, all that, but want to know more about the consumer impact. Is that is that a world that you envision might exist here at least for a while as the next kind of chapter? Yes, I definitely think so. And and Lisa and I haven't had a chance to talk about this, but uh, just literally earlier today, we have we're going through our series of reporting that we're active aggressively working on, but we're not getting rid of our legacy CSR report, right? Where we would talk about impact associated with things such as skills-based volunteerism that we is a fundamental part of us as an organization within Deloitte. So I do imagine that in the near term, we'll the, the scenario of there being multiple reporting mechanisms as all of this falls into place will be good because people want to tell their impact in a variety of different ways, not only to the people who are reading their ESG reports, but also if you think about it to the talent that they're recruiting within the organization, yeah. which is from a very different background with different perspectives that they would want to learn. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's right. I think that's right. Lisa, what do you think yeah. about that? I, I completely agree. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that neither CSR nor ESG should just be a report, right? It's about what you are actually doing to create impact and also how you're incorporating responsibility of the ES or G variety to the company and then sharing those stories. So I think that the narratives that are for consumers will continue to be important in one way or another. And then the hard analytical inward looking assessment that is, you know, perhaps more of the financial material, financially material risks um, and, yeah. and it will continue to be, continue to be really important. Yeah. You know, the diff- main difference that I see between kind of CSR and where we were with that as a, as a sector corporate sector and, and ESG is that CSR was, was definitely about community impact and things that you were doing that, you know, made a difference. Um, uh, in the social realm and to different communities. But ESG seems very focused to me on 
what is the impact of your operations, the business that you are in, and how does that impact the, uh, the, uh, the environment and how can you lessen that impact? What can you do to promote social justice, both within your organization and, and kind of to the communities that you touch? And how are you governing yourself? Sort of how are you before you before you talk about impact, how are you look, look to turn the mirror inward a bit and talk about how you're governing yourselves? Is that how you guys see it too? The, the kind of the, the difference between the two, if you will? It's, I think it's a good it's a good differentiation, right? And in particular, what I what I feel like what was missing with uh, legacy CSR reports is in fact the G, right? Because yeah. it wasn't necessarily included, and and also the progress on a year over year basis, right? Like I think fundamentally being able to understand yeah, like true. you're making progress toward, towards definitive goals rather than telling self-selected stories of impact. Got right? it. Like yeah. They're very, very different narratives. Yeah. And Cindy, I think the way that you laid it out makes a great deal of sense. Yeah, yeah. So then let me ask you another question. With this kind of ESG, those are three huge topics. I mean, let's just let's just be clear about that. And it, it's going to take like everybody pitching in to, to, make, to make movement on big things like climate change and social justice. Do you think that all three of those, E, S, and G, are getting equal billing right now in um, focus by companies? Or are one of those areas kind of front and center and others kind of being left behind? I can't wait to hear your answer to this, Lisa. So I'm going to let you start. <laughs> We're certainly not in the same place, sort of as a country, even um, on on I think all three of these topics. Um, and I I really, as I, as I was reflecting on this question, I think there are some topics within each of the E and the S and the G that we really haven't aren't touching right now as corporate America, you know, such as natural capital and biodiversity. Yes, we're going to focus on climate change and waste and water, but what about natural environments that are actually really helping to solve and are going to be required um, to maintain if we really want to adequately address um, the, the climate imperative that's that's ahead of us. I think we, we saw last year in the United States huge focus on social um, social topics and, and awareness and equity in this country, I, that better not go away. We just need to add in the E, right, which is yeah. now the rise, I think, in the last six months. There are some topics within govern, governance that I think only started to get a bit of a spotlight earlier this year, such as political contributions. It'd be a really hard one to grapple with and decide to communicate about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with Lisa. I, I think particularly given like this, the social justice awakening that we had as a country and globally has placed a very, very heavy emphasis on, you know, the S, right? And, and I do think that the E over the last six months with a number of distinct items has, has moved substantially. And I think that both of them are here to stay. Um, what will be interesting is how that plays out in a sustained fashion. I just feel there have been so many distinct things that are currently and that have received broad scale press and also leading up to Lisa, I would say COP26 to see if that leads some sustained momentum so that there's somewhat parity parity between the E and the S within ESG for going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kwesi, for the audience, let's talk about what, what is COP26? And 
it's going to be a very, very fun conference where we solve all of the world's ills, right? Hopefully, <laughs> right? So when I, when I think of it is, a, it is a UN conference that'll be taking place at the end of October, early November, specifically focus on key items with respect to like climate change writ large and, and commitments and agreements that we need to make. And, and I always view it as a natural extension of what took place in Paris. Lisa, you probably have a much better way of putting it, but that's the way that I've equated in my simplistic mind. No, that's exactly right. I think, you know, first and foremost, it's an opportunity for government leaders to come together, you know, leading scientists to set and agree to goals. I think it's also where we will also see corporate involvement, though it's going to probably look a little different than in past years. It's um, because it's going to be large. Much of it will still will be virtual this year, but it's a real opportunity, I think, to um, to provide more public attention and also commitments at, at the most senior levels of business and government um, coming on the heels of the recent IPCC report. Nothing that was in that report was surprising. We've known this information, but it came out at the right time to really continue to focus and, and increase the commitments. I think we saw some, we saw, we've seen commitments in the United States as, as it regard, relates to our NDCs, the Nationally Determined Contributions, a few months ago. That was really an amazing first step for the U.S., but we're going to need to continue to see a lot more convergence of suppliers and coalitions across different businesses and industries to really address the crisis. I was going to say, just, just to show how much things have changed, right? Like, I, I literally last week was asked, you know, my perspective on the IPCC report by our board. Right, like that's the- No, what, no, what is that report for the audience again? Yeah, <laughs> so that report for the audience, you know, it's a, it's a UN report, right? Like that was specifically, and this one is in two parts, right? And and what it recognized in, as, as part of this particular committee, which is a standing committee of, I think it's over 200 distinct scientists around the world, wow. um, heavily focused on what are the fundamental impacts of climate change and making sure that that's relayed in such a way that governments around the world understand mm -hmm. and start making plans accordingly. Got it. Now, this first part laid out a number of distinct scenarios. I believe in uh, four or five months, they'll come back with a secondary version of the report that has more recommendations. Okay. But from the standpoint of asking you know, distinct members of your C-suite, like, hey, the UN released a report specifically focused on climate change what does that mean that we should start doing now, right? right. Like absolutely right now is, is a substantial shift, I feel, um, with respect to kind of the heightened focus and importance of this topic and really shows that boards understand and are getting it and really want action, um, which is going to be critical for us um, driving change. Great. And so for all of you who are listening and watching, we will drop links to all of these um, reports that are being mentioned in the show notes so that you can make sure and, and take a look at that there. But Kwesi, you were getting ready to share something about that particular report and share a story about how just like last, things are changing. And just last week, you and, were talking and, to your board about. And that's exactly it. I think this the significance that like our members of the C-suite are expected to understand the implications of reports on climate change and how it impacts our activities on a daily basis is not something that was happening 18 months to two years ago. Yeah, yeah, I think that's 
I think that's well said. And so it's a very fast evolving area. Um, I mean, it just, it, it, it really is. So let's talk about COVID. It's still here. Unfortunately, it is still with us. Um, what impact do you think that um, this global pandemic has had on ESG and, and the focus on it? Lisa, why don't you start? Sure. COVID has been horrible for everyone around the globe, some of us much more than others. And I think that that's the first thing to acknowledge. We would not have wanted this pandemic in under any circumstances. And I think it's also shown us how quickly we can, if we want to work together to try to address an issue. I think it was amazing how quickly our scientists created a vaccine that was completely unexpected at the beginning of the pandemic. I do caution us against thinking there's going to be a silver bullet to address climate change in the same way. Oh. Um, but I think that it also has shown the collaboration that is necessary across borders um, in, in, to really make um, to make inroads against a really complicated issue. Um, that is something that climate um, climate and the other E topics in ESG, as well as the S, as we think about complex supply chains and labor, is really going to require. I think there's going to be new levels of collaboration that have shown we can do, but it hasn't been universal. Yeah, I, and it's not just across borders. I think it's across sectors, industry, mm -hmm. private sector, nonprofits. I mean, like these are huge problems, which I think do require massive collaboration. Uh, both globally and across sectors. Kwesi, what, what were you going to say? No, and I, I, I think that, that what you just said, Cindy, is spot on. And, and I think what, what resulted coming out of COVID is that some of our traditional orthodoxies on how work has to occur and how we interact and like um, will have positive impact with respect to us making progress towards um, some of the harmful effects that different aspects of business historically um, was transpired. And, and I say that from the standpoint of being in a consulting industry and knowing how travel intensive it is. Yes. Um, we are coming out on the other side of COVID and we're understanding that we can work incredibly differently that will have positive impact on the environment overall. Yes. So as much of a, a, as a tragedy and how painful this pandemic has been overall, I do think that there's some things that if we are thoughtful, as Lisa was saying a moment ago, and if we are careful, there's no silver bullet, but a collection of our actions we've seen, we've been able to do over the last number uh, 18 or so months that we probably should carry forward for the betterment of the planet and us, all of us ourselves. Yeah, a real resiliency, I would say, and, and fortitude um in the in the human spirit and um figuring out how to you know how to how to create this new world that we're all going to enter into because it is not going to be the same um and never will be which is probably why esg i agree with you is going to stay front and center mm -hmm. so let me ask you uh, one last question this has been a fabulous conversation lots of resources have already been shared but as as we bring this to a close i would love to know if um both of you actually have good recommendations for maybe documentaries or more of a mainstream kind of book or um, uh, something to listen to, anything to watch, read, or listen to that the audience could could digest and take advantage of to learn a little bit more. What would you What would you say? Why don't you go ahead and start, Lisa? Sure, sure. 
There are a number of really fantastic materials out there. Um, a book that I have read recently um, in the environmental justice realm is Waste by Catherine Flowers. It's about um, U.S. sanitation, actually, and rural communities. And fascinating look um, and call to action about health, human health conditions in the United States. Um, if folks like watching more, there's an excellent documentary called There's Something in the Water by Elliot Page, which is about water conditions in Canada. Um, and then finally, I'll leave one podcast um, on, the, on the table as well. I think that the Green Biz 350, it's about an hour long weekly podcast, um, really excellent for broad education on a variety of sustainable topics. So I'll leave you with those three. Awesome. Thank you. I got three. Quasi, what do you have to add? <laughs> I, I have one very simple one. And I, I love getting a, a global perspective or a non-US perspective on distinct things related to climate. So The Economist has a fantastic bi-weekly newsletter where they summarize like major stories around the globe that um, related to sustainability, which is just incredibly thoughtful and very, very good just to understand like the dynamics of what we wrestle here within the US on a daily basis and the impacts that that might have on some particular part of the world in Southeast Asia. So very easy and accessible, but it pulls together a variety of different things that are really helpful for understanding the totality of the issue that we're trying to address here. Well, that's th those all four are great resources. I'm going to add them to my list. I've actually not read that book. Uh, so I'm going, to, I'm going to pick that up and do the others as well. That, that Those are those are really great. This has been a fantastic conversation. I can't thank the two of you enough for sharing with us your views, your thoughts, your insights, where you see this whole area headed. I know that uh, those who are watching and listening are going to get a lot out of this episode. So thank you both very much. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S, which stands for The Business Integrity School. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.